one of the most exciting things in life, but absolutely terrifying as well, is starting a business. And you don't even know where you're heading. So how the heck do you get, how do you start that? In that context, the SatNav service will, will help you find where to head. It won't just help you plot the route. It'll help you map out what those big milestones are and, and where to get to. Hello, and welcome to UmiCast, a podcast about business and entrepreneurship. At UMI, we make it easier for businesses to do more and go further by finding and packaging the best information expertise in finance so you can make better business decisions more quickly. This is a special episode of the podcast in that the guest is none other than UMI Chief Executive, Nikki Clark. For the 10th installment of the UmiCast series, we wanted Nikki to come on the podcast and give us a deeper insight into her life and career. From dreaming of becoming a vet when she was growing up, to finding her feet working in banking, traveling the world selling soft drinks, and of course being one of the founding directors of UMI back in 2007. Nikki and I also take a deep dive into the various different milestones UMI has hit over the past 15 years. From becoming an employee-owned business back in 2010, to rebranding as UMI in 2017 and launching the UMI SatNav in 2021. Given that this conversation was recorded on International Women's Day, Nikki also shares her thoughts on celebrating the achievements of women throughout society and building a workplace where women can thrive, which is something that her and the team have been incredibly successful with at UMI. So this is a conversation for anyone who wants to know just how far you can go in life if you have the right attitude and are willing to grasp the opportunities in front of you with both hands. It's also for anyone who wants to find out more about UMI and the support we've been providing the businesses since 2007. So I hope you enjoy this one with our very own Chief Executive, Nikki Clark. Uh, well, welcome to the podcast, Nikki, and uh, welcome to what is the first episode that we've recorded face-to-face in the studio. Um, now, this is quite exciting for me, as it's not every day that an employee gets to interview the boss of the, the company, <laughs> so how are, you, how are you feeling about this? Um, slightly apprehensive, Richard, because you're not known for uh, pulling any punches with reference to questions. No, no, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be gentle. <laughs> I, I, I promise. Um, no, it is, it is great to be doing it face to face in in the studio. And uh, big thanks to you for obviously backing us to do the podcast and obviously putting in all the investment to get this studio um, going. So that that's brilliant. And it's also a special day today because it's International Women's Day. Mm. Um, so I think it would be uh, remiss. If I didn't start us off um, by you know talking about how you feel as a female business leader about campaign days like International Women's Day, um, a bit I guess a bit mixed, Richard. In all honesty, because I think it's really really important to shine a spotlight and draw people's attention to all areas of life that perhaps aren't receiving the same kind of opportunity, recognition, support that. Uh, they deserve and um, in that regard therefore I'm supportive of the campaign I'm supportive of the campaign because it it highlights women who have done incredibly special things socially culturally economically and politically I think sometimes the, um, the the female agenda gets sucked into or focused on business and business only but um, the great thing about the International Women's Day campaign is, is the fact that it, it covers all those four things and it uh, recognises and promotes that there really shouldn't be any limits to anything. You know, if you've got the will, desire um, and so on and so forth to make something happen, then you can. And I think that's really important. Yeah, and, and obviously bringing it, bringing it back to business and, and, and bringing it back to, to UMI, Obviously, you know, we, we employ, we're, we're a female-led business. You're the, the chief executive. Um, three out of four of the, the executive team are, are women. and We provide opportunities right throughout the business for women to, to thrive. So I guess, um, is that a conscious effort on your behalf or is, it, is that the way that things have, have, have sort of developed? And how important do you think it is that we build these kind of inclusive workspaces? For, for where women can thrive and where obviously people of all different sort of backgrounds can thrive. 
Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely essential uh, to create really uh, open-minded workspaces and workplaces now. And I think it's been one of the great things that's come out of the pandemic. It has created far more open-mindedness in all sorts of different businesses who previously wouldn't have considered um, how they change physical environments as well as methods and practices to encourage greater diversity and, and ability for people to work. Um, for us, uh, it's kind of just happened. Uh, it hasn't been a conscious um, thing. We, uh, we, we really have, I believe, a great balance in the business of styles, skills, experience, um, I think we can, uh, you know, we can enjoy greater diversity uh, within UMI even yet. Um, but we haven't consciously uh, recruited a, a, a larger cohort of, of uh, women in the business than men. It's just happened in that way. But one thing I would say is we're very conscious now, though, about balance and making sure that we do seek a balance in all dimensions of life, whether that's, you know... Uh, sex, race, um, religion, belief, ability, uh, what, whatever kind of uh, form that takes. I think balance is a, is a gift that we should embrace and it really makes our business better when we do that. Yeah, and, and I think um, a, a mix of different personality types and, mm -hmm. and character traits as well, which I know is something that you've been uh, interested in quite, quite recently, making sure that the business has the right mix of, of people in it. Is that something that's, that's quite important as well? It's really important to us because we're quite an unusual business in terms of the portfolio of products that we have. So we, um, you know, we need really creative, fast-paced people, but we also have a number of areas in the business that require huge amounts of um, critical thinking, attention to detail, real compliance uh, with rules regu and regulatory bodies. So um, getting that kind of blend of personalities in a business and it being harmonious in how it works together, but also constructive, is quite tough. So, you know, recognising those personality traits in people from the outset, helping them understand what those are and how they interact constructively is, is really, really important to us. Yeah, I, I think given the breadth of different things that UMI does, that, that's no easy task, is it? So... Um, you know, if we can just sort of rewind a little bit, Nikki, and, and talk a little bit about your sort of story and, and talk about <laughs> your background. Um, so I guess, you know, going as far back as, as to when you were young, you know, what, what were you like as a, as a youngster? What was your dream job? Did you think you'd be the, the chief executive of UMI? It, would probably, it probably didn't start out like that from a young age. So if you can just sort of give us a little bit of a flavour of, of what you were like growing up. Um, so... Uh, when I was growing up, I um, have clearly always loved the outdoors. So, um, you know, I wasn't one for uh, as playing with kind of dolls and doing that kind of stuff or being indoors. I was usually covered in mud, building a camp somewhere, riding a horse, uh, tearing about on my bike um, and uh, or out you know, walking with, with my dogs, with, with my dad. We spent a lot of time out on the hills and whatnot. Um, and uh, also loved creating things. So, um, you know, doing the old stuff in the kitchen with my mum and baking because she was really good at that and uh, doing a bit of crafting and what have you. So that's, that's kind of how I spent my early days. Um, I was really lucky as a child because my um, parents were both quite active. My mum was, well, you know, she's a great campaigner. She believes in uh, if, uh, if you feel something isn't working as well as it should or, or something's happening in the world that shouldn't be, that you should make your voice heard. So she was a very powerful lady and, and uh, kind of somebody to look to in that regard. And my dad um, has always, as, as long as I've known him, we started our life in the RAF, but... Um, he went into business at quite a young age, uh, set up his own business, travelled around the world, uh, had loads of interesting people around for dinner at home. So I, I met and got involved with quite a lot of, you know, different people at mm. quite a young age. Mm. Um, hated school. I was absolutely appalling at it. I'm not really? in any way, shape or form academic. You weren't a straight A student? Or... Hated it. Uh, got incredibly frustrated. 
didn't couldn't find my place in terms of where I fit in and was far more comfortable around animals than I was people. Hence why the only job I have ever dreamed of having, and that was right from, I'm told, you know, as early as almost learning to walk is to be a vet. Okay. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, that's the, the only thing I ever wanted to do. And unfortunately, because of my lousy academic attainment, <laughs> um, that wasn't going to happen. Okay. Okay. So obviously you, you started your career in banking. So I'm imagining obviously this influence coming from your father, him being in business, that being something that you were interested in. Not really. It no? was a moment of desperation. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> So um, I uh, left school because I wasn't uh, good at it and um, needed to get a job. And at the time, um, banks were absolutely fantastic places uh, from a point of view of personal development. So if you didn't know what you wanted to do, really, and you went into one of the banking programs, it was great. It was really mm. structured. You got to uh, look at all sorts of different bits of the bank and so on. So I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. I was I was a bit harumphed when I realised I wasn't going to get to be a vet. So I I whacked off a few um, applications and um, nearly joined uh, Morrison's on one of their uh, programmes, their development programmes, but actually ended up in NatWest Bank. And uh, it was... It was just brilliant. I made some amazing friends. You know, I, I talked about the fact that I didn't really feel that I fit at school. Um, but you I walked, found that fit. I walked into the bank. I found some amazing uh, friends and people. Uh, had a brilliant um, personal development kind of path and and tons of support. Um, and uh, yeah, had a ball in Durham City. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, and and really enjoyed it. So that was where you really started to flourish at NatWest, right? And then do you move on from there? Because I want to come on to uh, you traveling the world selling <laughs> posh soft drinks. So is, tell me, to talk, talk me through that sort of, yeah, you kind of find yourself in a way in the banking sector in, in NatWest and all of those personal development opportunities. What leads you then on to the, the kind of soft drink space? Um, so, yeah, there, there was no doubt that uh, finding my feet in the bank uh, gave me some confidence that I pre previously didn't have. I left school feeling pretty lousy about myself, wasn't succeeding, but I found I was really good uh, in, in the bank. I got on really well with customers. I really enjoyed that sort of front-facing customer services role. Um, I had a level of attention to detail that I, I didn't realise I had. Um, so some of the other roles in the bank um, worked out really well. And about five years in, uh, it was really funny back in the day, I don't know whether this still exists now, but you know, everybody used to say, if you don't get out of banking at five years, you're stuck in it for life. And I remember quite a few people saying this to me, and I've still got friends in the bank today. Um, and about five years in, uh, the world of banking changed quite significantly. You went through, you know, all banks, all high street banks went through a major kind of redesign and restructure and became much more product driven rather than, at the time, service-driven. And I think that's changed and changing again now. But it just wasn't for me. Uh, yeah. I, I didn't really start, I didn't really enjoy it as much because it, it wasn't service-led, it was more product-led as a sort of strategy. And um, my mum, when I got home one evening, because I was going home and I was pretty miserable, I wasn't really enjoying it, and my mum uh, found this advert in the Northern Echo, I think it was at the time, for a soft drinks business across in Hartlepool, and she said, you should have a look at this. And I remember saying to her, I can't do that because it's £4,000 more than what I'm getting paid now. So it's, you know, it's obviously far too um, high a job ah, for me at this okay, point in time. Okay. And it was a customer service position at the soft drinks business. And she was like, no, don't be so daft. Give it a go. And in true mum fashion, she chivied me along. And uh, I applied. And anyway, I got the job. And um, I started across at what was called Orchid Drinks across okay. in Hartlepool. Uh, lovely business, um, independently owned, uh, and it, they manufactured and owned the brands Arme, Purdy's, Aqualibra, and a range of other things, um, and bottled them across at the brewery at um, across at Stranton Mill in Hartlepool. Um, so yeah, that's how I started there. Do you want me to tell you the journey into yeah, trotting I, around the globe? Yes, yes, I want, <laughs> I want to hear where you got to go to. So uh, I was, one of my jobs as customer services was I was allocated to um, a set of customers in the UK, but also I was aligned to the export manager's portfolio at the time. 
And basically what we did was make sure when the orders came in, uh, they went through to our distribution guys and they were all put together properly and so on and so forth. So I got to know the customers, the distributors that we used across overseas reasonably well. Anyway, uh, Justine, who became a friend and, and uh, really enjoyed spending time with, who was the export manager at the time, uh, you know, multilingual and all that good stuff, yeah, uh, yeah. was moving on to Pastures New. So I uh, trotted up to see the MD at the time, a guy called Jeff Spencer, um, who uh, is an absolutely cracking guy, and basically said to Jeff, can I have a crack at it? And I remember Jeff saying to me, well, do you speak any languages? And I said, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, really, I really fancy a go at the export manager's job. And, and that was that. And uh, Jeff clearly saw something of interest and, and gave me... Uh, gave me a go at it and uh, we went on from there and it was just an absolutely fantastic period um, I got to travel around the world um, and I think the only kind of places I, I didn't do the Far East didn't quite get to see our Australian distributor um, which was which was a bit of a shame but you know America's Canada wow. Scandinavia Europe um, just had a phenomenal time with great people yeah. and the drinks at the time were completely and utterly unusual. Uh, I remember one time when um, myself and the marketing director, a guy called Richard, ended up in front of the, um, the EU Commission because the Ministry of Health in Germany in, uh, had, um, were refusing to allow us to sell the drink. Uh, Purdy's in Germany and it was okay. it was big on the nightclub scene because it had loads of herbs and weird and wonderful oh, stuff okay, in okay, okay. Uh, so they banned Purdy's in Germany so we ended up going to Brussels to the commission to fight our case in front of the uh, the courts there right uh, which was a fantastic experience um, I've uh, you know spent I've had some cracking uh, times across in New York. First time I travelled alone, and I was only in my early twenties at the time. Uh, I ended up in New York, and I was introduced to Long Island iced tea uh, by uh, one of the barmen in a in a lovely hotel there. Oh, so yeah. that was an so heads the day evening. after. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I managed to acquire um, my first and only Touchwood. I'm pleased to say. Uh, traumatic um, plane uh, incident. When oh, what I was, happened? Uh, so I used to travel out of Teesside Airport back in the day, uh, yeah, and it's, yeah. it's back up and running now, obviously, Fantastic. to Schiphol. So I kind of used uh, Schiphol as a hub, and I used to travel out there once or twice a week. One day we were flying out and uh, on a KLM uh, little jet, and it all went wrong. Anyway, to cut a long story short, because I could ramble on forever about it, our hydraulics failed and we had to turn back and come into Teesside because we hadn't crossed the boundary. And uh, our landing gear didn't, gear didn't come down. And so we had to do the whole uh, emergency landing, uh, being told, I don't, I don't know whether uh, you've ever had to do it, but being five foot, 10, 11, when they tell you to do the brace position in a little jet, it's virtually impossible. Yeah. So the only <laughs> yeah. thing you can do is sit, sit back and either have a giggle or cry. So uh, yeah, oh, I decided yeah. to just try and make light of it. But um, absolutely uh, not an experience you'd want to repeat. But the funny bit was um there was loads of camera crew because you kind of almost get put into quarantine when they get you off the plane in those incidents and just make sure you're all right and all that good stuff there yeah. was a camera crew there bbc camera crew and as i walked back into the house um at about six o'clock at night my hubby said to me oh you're back i went yeah i'm back and he said uh, why and i said oh the flight was cancelled and I, I told a bit of a porky pie because we were due to fly out to portugal in two weeks time and my Didn't hubby hates them. flying okay. absolutely hates flying yeah. And then just as the words are coming out of my mouth, here's this stuff on the six o'clock news, uh, you know, about, or whatever time it was, about yeah. Teesside Airport. So, yeah, did you go to Portugal, though? Did you still we go? We did. Okay. He still got okay. on the plane to Portugal, good. so that was good. I, I love, I love that, that story, Nicky. So many, so many amazing things that you got to do. And what I think I like most is that it all came about because you just said, can I have a go? Mm -hmm. You know, to, to, to the boss and, and, and he um, put, that, put that faith in you and it kind of, it's like that shy Ben's getting out almost, isn't it? You know, it it's, it's very much a, a good example of that. And uh, obviously, um, you know, moving on from that to talk about what happened next. Obviously, you start at what was then BE Group in 
2007 is that right or yeah well I had a little I had a little flirt with running a business with my hubby because okay you know we've got entirely complementary skills uh but we were definitely not destined to work together so that didn't last very long so I flirted with that a little bit and uh then I uh because one of us had to go and get a job uh, uh, I decided I would do that because he, he was the builder and it was a building business. Okay. Um, and uh, I joined uh, Business Inc. Tyne and Weir back in the day. Uh, yeah, and that's yeah. how I came into this wonderful world of kind of business and uh, helping other businesses and so on and so forth. And um, when the franchise for the uh, regional business link service came up for as an opportunity to mm. bid for, um, we, we, me and some other people, uh, were given the opportunity to put a bid in for it and to form a, a new entity and a new company. And that's how BE Group was formed back in the day in 2007, because yeah. uh, we won, surprisingly. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I became one of the, the kind of founding directors here at BE Group. Okay. So it was almost grew out of that kind of regional public sector economic development um, landscape that obviously one northeast was 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 kind of like the overarching um, authority of that, and then there was these various different business links, right, in sort of the different areas of the northeast, and then so the opportunity came up to tend like tender for that, and basically so you kind of created a group around that. Yeah, so we the, the a group of us always had a view that you know you could you could do so much more. Um, and the business link service and franchise was a cracking opportunity to set the business up on a, on a you know, a, a stable contract uh, and so on and so forth from the outset. But we set it up as an independent entity. Uh, it wasn't part of the public sector. It was completely and utterly independent. Uh, it, it was um, limited and owned by a kind of guarantee membership structure at the time. And we set off with a really, really clear mission that we wanted to be um, the best business support uh, business and service in the country. But we started out in the Northeast. We grew a brilliant portfolio of customers across the Northeast, uh, primarily in the public sector at the time. We then moved into the Northwest. We accelerated the development of the business through acquisitions as well, uh, and made our first purchase of a business that had operations in London, the Midlands, and Northeast. That brought with it some diversification of our portfolio and product, which was important. Um, and yeah, and then we just pushed on that from there, really. Yeah, there have been a lot of big changes in the business. Uh, we turned 15 the other day, is that right? Well, technically, it depends on what you see as the birthday date, to be perfectly okay. honest with you. So whether okay. you see it as the legal uh, company house birthday date or the date that we sort of uh, started delivering services yeah, and started yeah, yeah. trading but yeah. we're, we're, we're around we at that. certainly so, you know, it's, it's a bit, of, it's a bit of an inflection point I guess and uh, what have been some of those really key sort of milestone developments would you say over the last 15 years there's been many of them um, but yeah I think from from sort of B group 2007 to, through to to UMI employee owned uh, obviously with with yourself as, as the chief exec here in 2022 so yeah, what have been some of those kind of key milestones over the last 15 years for you? Um, I think uh, one was undoubtedly when it felt like we'd transitioned the business from one that had a huge amount of people from the public sector who thought like that and um, conducted business like that, which is different, and it's rightly different how the public sector conducts business to the private sector, into a business that had the best of both worlds in terms of the private and the public sector. Um, and because we chupied in on day one into uh, into BE Group back in the day in 2007, over 400 people from 15 different organisations, all primarily who'd worked in the public sector because we, we took over some existing contracts. Um, and... But also, I think our first acquisition was pretty transformational in the business. Mm. Uh, it was testing as well, really testing. It tested our leadership. It tested our culture because, um, you know, y- when you buy a business, it's it's really hard to do that and integrate it appropriately and, and so on. And then most definitely when we transitioned to employee ownership. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like a big thing, but it wasn't. We'd, what we realized after we'd done the, the legal stuff and the kind of compliance stuff is we were already there. 
in spirit. It was just that sort of put the icing on the cake and the shares ultimately in an entirely separate yeah. business on behalf of the team. Um, but that really did feel like the, the tipping point to something different, special, mm. better. What year um, was that then, the, the change to employee ownership? was it? Well, the directors of the business, whether that be Alistair, myself, Jonathan at the time, um, and, and, and others, as well as the non-executives on the board, were always really clear that this business wasn't set up for any one individual just to gain from. Um, we didn't know at the time when we set it up how that manifest itself, if that makes sense. But the business has always had a really, really strong kind of social ethic to it. It's always had that all for one and one for all kind of feel. But again, we didn't know how to express that. Um, so uh, it just became a sort of an emerging theme that uh, we worked with and we tested and we researched actually. Uh, for two or three years prior to finally making the leap. You know, we talked to some great businesses. We talked to some of the directors of John Lewis, I think, back in the day, to Eager mm -hmm. and others to work out how best to do it. Um, but yeah, the the final kind of signatures on the shares and all the rest of it was, was the straightforward bit. Uh, what we realised when we did that was the business was already there in spirit. Okay, okay, yeah. I guess you'd done all of that kind of soul searching and, and fact finding about how you could change the kind of legal structure of the business to be more in line with the culture that it Absolutely, that it had. and I think that's the point. The culture was there. It was just about bringing the mechanics in line with it. Okay, okay. And then, obviously, moving on from employee ownership, we've obviously got the rebrand from mm -hmm. BE Group to UMI in, I think, 2017. It's the same year that you take over as, as, as chief executive as well. So, yeah, just... Talk me through kind of the, the, the rationale, I guess, for the for the rebrand, why you decided to, to move away from, from BE Group and, and uh, rebrand as UMI. And also talk about that experience of stepping up to the, the top the top job, I guess. Was that a, was that an interesting experience for you? Was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. And and it was uh, reflecting on it now, it was it was pretty tough as well. But um so why the rebrand? Uh, that bit is dead simple. Um BE Group where we were at the time, and we probably had been for about 12 or 18 months prior, was a little bit frustrated as a business because BE Group didn't reflect our personality. So you had this wonderful, uh, energetic, creative, uh, thoughtful, you know, fun-loving personality within the team, but BE Group as a brand was a corporate serious brand. Um, so there was a little bit of a frustration between brand and people personality, if you see mm. what I mean. Um, and it transpired when you started talking to customers about it, um, we, the, they felt the same. You know, they would use language like, well, BE Group doesn't really describe you guys. You know, it doesn't get across who you are and what makes you special and how you do it. So we went through a, a, a really thoughtful process in um, soliciting views and influence and so on and so forth from all of our stakeholders. Um, customers, partners, team, suppliers, and so on. And uh, we worked with an organization called Drummond Central, and we developed UMI. Uh, and it was really, really hard. We went through so many different ideas and concepts, but when we um, came to UMI, it just all slotted into place. It was really, really weird. It was like something quite magical had just occurred. Like an aha moment. Yeah, kind because of thing. when when you connected the the um, constellation, the Ursa Minor constellation, which UMI is an abbreviation for, and um, the fact that you know the pole stars in there that's guided people for centuries in navigation, and that's really what as a business we were doing for people in businesses, um, and it created this lovely narrative and story behind the business that really connected the team. You know, we have this thing in the business called the rally cry, and I've never seen the team so animated about it really describing what makes the business special. Um, so it was absolutely transformational, and we had an awesome party as well uh, on the <laughs> sidelines around it. And it was so well received uh, by our existing customers, but really, really importantly, Richard, what it's allowed us to do is to start to build a rapport and a relationship with people that's sustainable and for the long term. It's not a corporate brand. Mm. It's a brand that people want to connect with. And that's really, really important to this business, both on a practical commercial level, 
but also from a point of view of how we want to interact with our customers uh, mm. and how we want to behave with our customers. We want it to be relational, not transactional. And, and, and who those customers are as well, Nikki, I think, isn't it? Because we're now, and we'll come on to the, the uh, UMI sat-nav and everything that we're trying to do there, but was part of the strategy with the rebrand about, okay, so we've got this long history of working with um, local authorities and growth funds and growth hubs and various other bodies uh, delivering support schemes f for them. But we also want to be able to have that kind of diversification where we're using our experience helping businesses by speaking to them directly. And obviously that's what we're doing through the, the sat-nav. But was that, was that a big part of the motivation during the rebrand as well? Absolutely. It was um, building that um, relationship with owner managers in independent businesses was to the benefit of hopefully them um, because the, we were building a trusted kind of dialogue and relationship with them, but also our existing customers, those local authorities, those charities, those primes in supply chains, because what they weren't having to do and they don't have to do with UMI is start a relationship with who they want to help from scratch every single time, because we've already got a trusted rapport with those owner managers in businesses who are enjoying the exciting life of running a business as well as the difficult times of running a business. Yeah, yeah. Which is something that I didn't know that, that you sort of had a, a bit of a, a flirtation with, right? So, <laughs> so, so um, I, do, I do just want to come back to that because I, I think it's, it's important when you're leading an organisation that, that is about helping other people start and run businesses like the experience of, of, of doing that yourself did you did you learn a lot a lot from that experience huge amount uh because i absolutely learned that um sometimes characters don't mix uh, and in the commercial world in the business world my husband and my characters do not mix whatsoever uh, and the importance of being aligned in terms of what you're aiming for because i wanted to revolutionize the building industry and he was a he was a, a great builder but he wanted to do it you know the the, the traditional way, way. Right, yeah. you know the builders way and um so i, I learned that i also uh, felt the pain of paying everybody else and not yourself and having to dip into the deposit account to make the mm. the money work um so having that real life experience i think is is really important but um other things is, you know, I've helped set up a social enterprise, um, which is a, is a different experience again, because um, it's absolutely vital in the social enterprise that people are aligned in terms of what they're wanting to achieve. So it's all it's all really different. And I think that's what I love about the life that I have and, and what I do. It's incredibly varied. Yeah. I, I, one of the things I, I love about working here as well is that it does it really does feel like no two days are the same. You know, you're dealing with a different set of issues, different set of customers. Uh, different set of services, you know, and I think that leads us quite nicely on to kind of UMI as it is today and, 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 and how you would describe UMI as it is today to say someone who may not have heard of us before, a business that hasn't heard of us before. Um, we do so many different things mm -hmm. um, and uh, obviously in line with the rebrand and trying to bring all of those disparate things that we do together. So, yeah, uh, I don't know if that's an easy question or a difficult question, but how would you describe UMI as it is today? Um, well, I think uh, we've worked really, really hard to try and distill down what makes UMI special and what we do. And I think we have got to a place now where it's really simple. You know, we exist to make it easier for businesses to find and use the best information expertise in finance. And whether it was back in the day when I was trying to work with a hubby or selling soft drinks around the world and working out how to export, or today when I'm still, I am absolutely still learning new stuff today, it's really still very difficult to find the information that you need, interpret it in a way that makes it work for your business, know how to apply that, you know, have the expertise to apply it, particularly if you're a young business or even if you're a business that's employing kind of uh, two to ten people, you might not have somebody who leads on sales, you might not have a finance manager. It's really hard to have access to that expertise to help you to apply that understanding. And then if there's one common denominator in business, it's money. And it doesn't matter whether you've got too much with it of it and you don't know where to invest it or what to do with it or you haven't got enough of it and you can't pay the bills. Um, having the right uh, kind of 
finance or funding at the right times and being able to understand how to best manage that is absolutely vital and, and that's what we do we make it easier to do those things but importantly we don't do that just ourselves you know we, we're a firm believer in um working in partnership working in collaboration and the umi network is phenomenal in terms of the expertise that resides within it so we don't have all the answers but we know where to get the answers for people uh, from and who to who to introduce them to. Yeah, of course. And um, I think it does lead us quite nicely onto the, the, the UMI SatNav, which is that kind of place where all of the information, all of the finance and funding, all of the advice about adopting digital technologies, where that where that lives. So is in terms of the rationale for, for launching that um, product uh, and, and, and service in terms of the, the SatNav, um, was that uh, a big was that a, a big decision to make for you? Was that something that you thought this is going to really help businesses because we know from experience from all of the businesses that we work with that starting a business is very hard, so it was all about making it easier for them through the sat nav yeah, it is, and um we are uh, it was you know some people think we're a bit crazy um because it's really hard to uh find ways to make that work for individual owner managers. Um, and But one of our mantras, I talked about the rally cry earlier, is to do what the others say can't be done. And, and that's what keeps this business exciting. It's what seems to bring the team to life, to set those challenges. And it is a challenge. What we're trying to do uh, in this enormous, really complicated world in which we live today is to find and package, as I say, that information expertise in a way that makes it easier for businesses to get at it, use it and understand it. Now, the SatNav service, I think, is brilliant at whether or not you have an existing business and you've been around for a while and you know where you want to get to, but you just don't quite have the route planned. You don't know where the best petrol stops are. You don't know where the traffic jams are. If you use that analogy, what we're doing in UMI is saying to you, right, well, okay, you need to be looking at this little bit of legislation here and um, you're going to have a funding gap when you get down the road in about six months' time, so we'll go off and have a look at that for you now. The SatNav service will do that for you. But equally, one of the most exciting things in life, but absolutely terrifying as well, is starting a business. And you don't even know where you're heading, so how the heck do you get, how do you start that? In that context, the SatNav service will, will help you find where to head. It won't just help you plot the route. It'll help you map out what those big milestones are and, and where to get to. Yeah, I think a lot of people have that ambition, right, of, of starting a business. But I think that you know, there is so much information out there. There's, there's, there's so much conflicting advice as well about when you should do it, why you should do it, and, and how you should do it. So do you almost see the, the, the SatNav being that kind of companion, I guess, for that? that maybe someone who's like pre-start even, do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? They're just, they're really at that early stage of thinking about it. And, and I mean, maybe just giving people that last little 10% to commit because it's a, it's a, it's a huge sort of leap into the unknown, right? Starting a business. So if we can like sort of kick people along a little bit. Absolutely. And, them, right? and um, the, the thing that I'm in, really proud about with the SatNav service is, yes, we've infused the very best bits of technology and blimey, that's a journey. You know, we, we talk about uh, supporting businesses and we do a lot around digital adoption with businesses, but we're on our own journey in that regard. And it's crazy and it's complicated and it's really expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, it's all this kit that you've, you've made us buy today as well. Yeah. But um, it's, uh, the, it's the, the technology stuff and infusing the SatNav service with that technology to make it easier for customers is, is really um, great. But the bit I'm proud of is we haven't forgot the importance of humans. And actually, for, for people running businesses, it can be pretty lonely. And sometimes you just want to talk to a human being. You just want to ratify your understanding. You just want to test your thinking. You can't do that with a bit of technology and a computer. You want to start talk to a human being who's either been there or done that or has a particular specialism in something. And that's what's great about the SatNav service. It brings together the very, very best of expertise in, in the real world 
<clears throat> but it allows you the ease of getting to it using technology and keeping in touch with it and keeping up to date with it by using technology. So people get hung up on the, the snazzy Yumi um, sat-nav platform and the app on the mobile phone and so on and so forth, but it really is about the whole package. Yeah, and, and being able to speak to a, a human being, right? Indeed. Obviously, we, we have the, the, the business advisors and, and the various other people that you can that you can speak to. And uh, yeah, I think because it is can be quite an isolating experience, that's 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 probably quite uh, quite quite needed. So in terms of, you've mentioned, uh, you've mentioned sort of, digital transformation and, and and sort of how people fit in with that and it was, it was sort of COVID-19 sort of seems to be uh, uh, an appropriate thing to, to bring up at, at this stage and I guess that's forced a lot of businesses to transform mm -hmm. transform digitally and do you think Nikki from Umi's perspective has, has reinforced a lot of the things that we were trying to do anyway through on our own kind of digital transformation journey um, and using these technologies to continue to be able to work together uh, remotely, like how's that? How's that kind of journey been for you over the last sort of two years or so? Um, we, uh, I think, because we've always been open-minded, and actually more so than that, we've we've really embraced technology in the business. We were in cracking shape when um, the pandemic hit, and uh, the team were absolutely stunning. And we went off and worked from home and it just felt like such a smooth transition because I'd, you know, I'd, I probably had a wee rant to our um, executive director who leads on tech over the years and said, do we really have to be spending this much money on all this technology? And uh, they kept saying to me, yes, yes, because it's about resilience and sustainability. And my goodness, you know, were they right at the time wow. because we were so well equipped to deal with it from a point of view of being able to keep the team connected by using uh, technology and, and that be seamless. But I think, um, you know, I, I love the fact that the pandemic has challenged business to be so, more, so much more curious and um, adventurous with technology uh, that probably would never, in the next 20 years, never got around to thinking about doing some of the stuff that they're doing. Um, but it's also for us, you know, on this grand plan and strategy to launch the SatNav service, it's presented challenges mm. because um, it's presented more competition, which in part is a good thing. But also it's really noisy out there now in, in the kind of virtual world. There's a lot of stuff going on. And in some ways that makes it even harder for businesses to digest and understand where it is they need to go to or what they want. So we're working really hard to make sure that the sat-nav service doesn't contribute to that noise, but tries to, as, as we keep coming back to, make it easier to, yeah. to really spot the things that you need to listen to. Yeah, yeah. And and I just want to come back a little bit to what you said about that conversation um, around, you know, putting the, the, the infrastructure, the digital infrastructure in place so that, uh, so that you could have this kind of remote work and policy. Obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, that was a very... Uh, worthwhile investment that you could never have sort of preempted, but I think what it comes back to is this um, sort of big part of Umi that's about long-term sustainability and looking ahead to the challenges that might be coming down the horizon. Would you say that that's what's enabled Umi to be successful? We were incredibly successful through the uh, the, the pandemic by virtue of us providing support for businesses when they needed it most. And do you think? In terms of yeah, what's what what has made Umi so successful is that kind of long term vision. Do you think? Um, I do, and it's about being a responsible business. And it's I think in part it's because we're motivated not just by fiscal health, but by the impact that we have on the world around us. You know, we have three measures in the business at a at a board level and the headline level. And of course, it's about our financial health. We'd be mad not to. We're a business at the end of the day, and we work really hard. And uh, we expect that to be one of the one of the positive outcomes from working hard. But second to that, but not in order, is um, the fact that we want to make a real positive difference in the world around us and the communities where we work, not just through the services that we deliver, but also how we act and behave as a business. You know, we want that to have a positive impact, not just a neutral one. And then thirdly, um, it's about being a great place where talent can thrive whatever form that talent takes itself in. And that takes me back to the days when I said to Jeff, can I have a bash at it? And he said, yes. And I think that really stuck with me that I might have had a bit of talent, and um, but I absolutely wasn't honed. 
and I absolutely didn't have all of what it was going to take, but he saw that and he gave me a chance. Yeah. So that's how we, uh, we judge success. And I think one of the reasons that we're able to keep an eye on that long-term horizon and invest for the future, the true future, is because we're employee-owned, because we can make those decisions for ourselves. We're not having to return massive dividends to people who don't understand our business or have little connection with it, practically mm. or emotionally. Um, so we're able to do that for ourselves. We're able to keep that long that long term horizon in our sights, rather than just making short term decisions. And again, it's 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 future proof in the business again because there is this uh, massive groundswell towards um, sort of corporate uh, social uh, mm -hmm. responsibility, mm -hmm. ESG, CSR, these kinds of themes and the types of. Um, the types of uh, contracts that we'll be trying to win will be tied to what we're doing as a business in terms of how we support the communities around us, how we support our own people. So again, it, it feels like there is still this kind of future-proofing aspect to how you lead the business. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think it, it, it bears out in um, how people are using the SatNav service, for example, you know, um, which, which I'm really still quite shocked about, that some of the highest levels of interaction are around themes like well-being, well-being in the workplace, uh, about sustainability in your business. They're some of the, the main uh, themes. They're the top two, actually, that people are looking at, which is incredible. Um, because, you know, if you, if you rewind five years, I'm pretty certain that wouldn't have been the case. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really exciting in that regard from a business perspective, I think. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, it does feel like this has all came down the track quite quickly. And yeah, perhaps five years ago, it would have been right. How can I make as much money as possible? Mm -hmm. Whereas now, you know, your businesses are, are looking at that kind of triple bottom line of, 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 of not just profit, but also the environmental impact, the impact on people. So it's good it's good that we're obviously doing that as a business and supporting others through the, the sat nav um to do that as well and um, so b before we finish off nikki are there any other areas of the business that you're excited about at the moment <laughs> that um, you can talk about at the moment yeah i'm uh, we've got tons going on and i'm and I'm, I'm i really do mean it honestly when i say i'm excited about the whole thing uh, the people in this business are awesome and uh, I've loved being back in and amongst it and around them because um, I, I was starting to uh, get a little bit fatigued working at home. I, you know, I, I was missing that buzz of people and it is a very special business in that regard in terms of, uh, of, the, of the people within it. But we've got some really interesting plans in terms of investment areas in the business in terms of, as you were saying there, Richard, shoring up our future, keeping uh, a weather eye on the horizon. But um, it's also going to be uh, a, a really tough, I think, 12, 18 months to work our way through. And, you know, my, my dad uh, always used to say to me, you know, Nick, don't back yourself into a corner. And I absolutely have that phrase ringing in my mind at all times now because we just are going to have to remain really fleet of foot respond to opportunities, you know, make thoughtful decisions um, and, uh, yeah, keep pushing on. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting 12 to 18 months, I think, with uh, everything that's, all the different sort of business issues that are converging mm -hmm. around the world. And, and do you have a thought on, on that, on, on, I guess, the, there's obviously the, the, the landscape that, that UMI operates in and, and there's the kind of wider business landscape as well. And do you have... Yeah, any thoughts, any more thoughts on that? Or is it just to say that it's going to be a, a challenge in 12 to 18 months for businesses of all shapes and sizes? I think um, overall, I, I'm a combination of both optimistic and apprehensive, in all honesty. Um, I think so much is changing in the way that businesses think, how they operate, um, a lot of which is really positive. Businesses are open-minded to new ways of working behaving responsibly uh, and how you can make your business even better by being responsible. And you just have to look at movements like B Corp uh, and, and the growth in those kind of movements. I mean, that it fills me with great optimism, I'll be honest. Um, but I'm apprehensive because the challenges and obstacles for businesses that they're facing are incredibly diverse. Um, they're new. Uh, and can seriously threaten the ongoing viability of, of a business. Mm. Um, 
But I guess our attitude towards that uh, and those risks is to be more open-minded than ever, energetically, really energetically, seek out potential partnerships in new markets or specific specialisms. And I guess to be brave and believe that uh, in all that UMI stands for. And uh, that's always fared as well. And I hope it will fare as well over the next few years. Yeah, a little bit like uh, plan for the worst, hope for the best, right? A little <laughs> bit a little bit like that sort of way. And and, and having a go as well. You know, it, it comes all the way back to um, when you, you wanted to do that export manager job at the soft drinks company. It's just about continuing to move forward irrespective of, of the challenges that, that, that we face. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Nikki. Uh, it, it's been uh, it's been really nice to have this this time with you in the studio. And uh, likewise, I think yeah, I think there's so many interesting things for us to uh, pass out of this conversation. So thanks very much. Cool. Thanks for being gentle with me, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nikki. Well, there you go, Nikki Clark there talking all about her journey in business and how UMI exists to help other businesses on their journey. Now, naturally, that was a very instructive conversation for me as someone who works for the organisation that Nikki leads. But I also think there were a lot of takeaways for other people who might be running their own businesses or thinking about starting one, or maybe even just looking at how to progress in their chosen career. Firstly, it was quite reassuring when Nikki spoke about school and that not being an environment where she felt she could thrive, but that not being a barrier to her achieving her long-term goals. You know, you don't have to have it all figured out from day one. And it was also great to hear about some of those experiences Nikki had traveling the world as the export manager of the soft drinks company, you know, from being hauled in front of the European Commission to having what sounds like a near-death experience on a flight out to Amsterdam Schiphol. And then on the evolution of UMI over the last 15 years, you know, I think what's clear is that while the company might have changed names a few times, it's never changed its purpose, which is to make it easier for businesses to do more and go further. And in that light, some really exciting work happening in terms of the UMI SatNav, which you can get a free, no obligation, 14-day trial of, by the way, if you uh, visit www.weareumi.co.uk forward slash web app forward slash sign up. So please do that. And finally, Nikki gave some good advice, I think, for businesses facing down what is going to be a tricky 12 to 18 months. Uh, be more open-minded to new opportunities, seek out new partnerships in new markets and be brave and believe in what you're doing. I think those are all sound bits of advice to take into the future. So thanks so much to Nikki for being my guinea pig for the first face-to-face podcast. Hopefully we'll get to do more of them this way. And as always, thanks to everybody for listening. <laughs>